Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. So many of life's circumstances, uh, they just, just can just break us, eh? Um, crush it, crush us. It feels sometimes it, it feels like you can feel like you're being crushed, and sometimes it's tragedy. Uh, sometimes it's just the immense weight of of um, uh, responsibility. It can be different things, and we are inadequate for these things. I I struggle even uh, uh, myself, and I'm sure you do uh, when it comes to praying. Um, the just the um, the burden um, for people. There's just so much, so much, uh, so much hurt, uh, so much pain and suffering in our world. What we're going to be talking about today is um, probably a subject that gets talked about. Maybe more than anything. Um, but there's a danger in that because sometimes when things get talked about a lot, they become, um, we become almost desensitized to them. And uh, we're in the uh, letter of First John and, and John's going to be talking to us there through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about about, uh, about love and um, and I, I I just pray that God will enable us to understand what he really wants us to know about this uh, today um, so let me um, let me start by saying this it, it, it's 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 fun to look at um, at children or young people and Take note of the uh, mannerisms, uh, facial features, whatnot that uh, they get from their parents. We all do it. Uh, you do it with your children. Your friends do it with your children. Uh, oh, wow! Does he ever look like you? Or you know, we we do that all the time, and it's and it's it's fun and it's and it's fascinating. It's totally fascinating, um, but this is this 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 thing, this uh, these attributes and 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 this here um, dynamic, if you will, of how of how we take after uh, those from which we come uh, is more than just a fascination. It's actually a vital truth about life. And it's an important theological uh, New Testament uh, truth as well. The Apostle John, who wrote uh, the letter of 1 John, um, he also wrote what we call the Gospel according to John. And in the Gospel according to John, he said uh, these words. He said, uh, to all who receive him, speaking of Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born 
of God. And he presents that truth over and over again in his writings. In the Gospel of John and in the letters of John, this is brought up again and again. This idea that those who are, receive Christ become God's offspring by means of supernatural rebirth. That we become the children of God. To as many as receive him, gave he the right to become the children of God who are born not of the will of man, but born of the will of God, born of the Spirit of God, born again of the Word of God. And he also emphasizes over and over, you know, we're studying First uh, John this morning um, because we're studying, going through, touching down through some of the letters of the New Testament. But um, over and over again in John's writings, both in his letters and in the Gospel of John, he emphasizes over and over again uh, that not only that this the spiritual uh, rebirth uh, where people become children of God through faith in Christ, but he emphasizes that God's children will exhibit certain irrefutable uh, qualities that mark us as his. That you can recognize a child of God, or if you will, someone that has a personal relationship with God through certain qualities, features, or attributes that they possess that come from God. That make them like Him. In the same way, in the, in the, in the very same way you would look at, uh, and all the little ones are gone, but you know, you look at, at uh, is Quinn there? Is she? <laughs> at those little kids and say, wow, you know what? I think he has your eyes. Or, you know, and sometimes you just glance over and you look sideways uh, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a someone and you, and you go, wow, never noticed that before, but they really look a lot like their sister or, or what have you. And, and in a sim very similar way, in a very similar manner, John says that those who are born of God um, look like him. They have his attributes. Um, so this morning, we're looking at another New Testament letter. We've been bouncing through uh, you know, Galatians, 1 Corinthians, James, Peter. Today we're in 1 John. Um, and 1 John was written by the Apostle John. John was the youngest of the 12. Remember the 12? That Jesus called to follow him throughout his earthly ministry. He was the youngest. And yet he was the only one who lived to see old age. He was just a teenager when Jesus called him. We don't know exactly how old, but uh, as near as you know, the best uh, surmising goes, uh, they estimate that, that John could have been even as young as 16 years old. So if you're here today and you're somewhere between the age of 16 and 20, or even if you're not, put yourself in John's shoes. He's just a... A, a young man, and, and we read this in Matthew 4. Let's uh, put that text up, uh, Don, if you will. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, 
He, that's Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. That's him right there. In the boat with their Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. That's the John who wrote the gospel according to John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, those three letters. And he also wrote one other book in the New Testament, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, that's just a little bit about him. Um... John's all about relationship. If you study John's writings in their, in their uh, you know, to totality, you'll see that John really was all about relationship. I mentioned John 1, 12. Uh, to all who receive him, to believe, those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Thank you, honey. Who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of uh, man, but, the, but born of God. That's very relational statement to make. And he talks and uses that phrase, born of God, a lot. In fact, in 1 John, he uses that phrase over and over again, those who are born of God. And um, before we go to chapter 3, just flip back to chapter, uh, chapter 1. Uh, 1 John, did you find it yet? Right after 2 Peter. So John starts his letter as a true apostle and eyewitness to Christ. And he says in 1 John 1, 1 and 2, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Who's the we? The apostles of Christ which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was man made manifest to us. And then he repeats those details of his witness in verse 3. He says, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you. And then he states his purpose, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, that word fellowship, of course, is a relational term. To have fellowship is to have relational uh, relationship. I won't go into the background of the word fellowship, but I hope that you all identify it as a, as a strong relational term. And John defines that relationship or that fellowship both vertically and horizontally. Did you notice that? He says it's just so that you would have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. There is that horizontal dimension and that vertical dimension. And then uh, that vertical and horizontal or that dual focus is repeated again in verses 6 and 7 where he says um, 
Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk. Oh, that's chapter 2, sorry. Chapter 1. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not uh, practice the truth. Uh, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So the fellowship with one another and fellowship with God are all tied up together. They're two different things, but they cannot be separated. They don't exist apart from one another. Even though they're two different things, they do not exist apart from one another. You can't have a relationship with God and be unrelated to those who belong to God. And so it is both that horizontal uh, horizontal and vertical relationship. And that truth is presented over and over again, not only by John, but John here in presenting the, the uh, gospel this way is uh, joins together with a, the host of New Testament writers who make that same point. Um, chapter 5, if you flip over chapter 5, verse 1, you see uh, there that John states it in very succinct terms. I... I it's one of the most, I think, clear statements in the Word of God that presents that truth to us, that the two are completely linked and you cannot pull them apart. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, there's that phrase again, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. That's really clear, isn't it? That's really clear, isn't it? You can't get away from that. Now, if you take a look at that statement there, not only does it typify John's teaching concerning the connectivity of our relationship with God and with one another, but it also serves as a really good example of John's main point in these five chapters. There's five chapters in the book, uh, letter of 1 John, and... uh, In those five chapters, John does a lot of teaching and a lot of admonishing, but he has a main point, and that statement there is a good example of what his main point is. There is this idea that he is witnessing to the life that is in Christ, and that the the life that is in Christ uh, connects us with God, and it also connects us with one another. But then notice what he says there. He says, everyone who... Uh, loves the Father, loves whoever has been born of him. In other words, um, that our relationship with him uh, and all of those who are born of God will evidence certain traits or characteristics that identify us with him. Whoever has been born of him. If you were to put it in the form of a question, it's probably helpful. How do you know if somebody is a believer? That is, how do you know if somebody has been born of God? How do you know if somebody has been truly born again? How do I know that I have been truly being born again? How do I know if I have a relationship with God? That I am of Him. That He is in me. 
that my life is through him. That my life comes from him. John says, there will be evidence. And in this statement here, he says, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. John talks about this a lot. And the reason that John talks about it a lot is because Jesus talked about it a lot. The consistency between John's letters and John's gospel is, is totally amazing. But if you read through the gospel according to John, uh, you'll come across a number of statements uh, there that make this same uh, point. In fact, three times in the gospel of John, Jesus is, is recorded as saying, by this shall all men know, or by this you will prove to be my disciples for real. And it's the same basic thought here, the same general, general idea. Um, John's uh, emphasis on relationship is displayed many times over throughout his writings. Uh, I mentioned that phrase, born of God. You saw it in this passage we just had on the screen a minute ago. You saw, there's that phrase again, born of God. Uh, and so he uses different phrases and different statements to make uh, his emphasis on these relationships and how they work. He also uses an immense number of connecting words. I just mentioned some of them to you. Words like uh, in and of and from and through. They come up over and over and over again. Those are, those are connecting words. If, if I say you uh, come from someone, then that, that's a relational connection. Or if I say you are in someone, or if I say that, um, that you are... Uh, uh, of someone. You know, those are connecting uh, words. Another very significant term used by John throughout his, uh, his writing, not just in uh, 1 John, but in his, in his letters in general and in the Gospel of John is a word, little Greek word called meno, and it's one of the easiest Greek words to pronounce. Anybody can pronounce it, meno. You might not recognize it, but you, it's, it's uh, translated uh, diff different words, but it's translated abide, remain, continue, dwell, uh, those, uh, uh, stay. Uh, in fact, let me give you an example from the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, uh, uh, John testified, I saw the Spirit. John the Baptist, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven and remain on Jesus. That's that word meno. Okay? And later on in the same chapter, when they followed Jesus and went after him, uh, there, they, when he turned around, he said, what do you want? They said, where, where are you staying? That's the same word. Um, then in chapter 2 of the Gospel of John, it says... Uh, they, they stayed there for, for a few days. And that word stayed is meno. And later on when Jesus says, talks about whoever has the son has life, but he who has not the son, the wrath of God abides on him. That's the same word. John uses that word over and over again. And so 
Why do I bring that up in relation to 1 John chapter 3 and what we're talking about here? Well, one of the places in the Gospel of John where that word meno appears is in John chapter 8, verses 31 and verse 32. And in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, it, it says that Jesus said, if you continue, abide, dwell, stay, however you want to translate it, in my teaching, then you are my disciples for real. It's an important relational term that John uses a lot, and it's very significant. Um, he uses that term in 1 John 24 times. That's a lot. That's significant. Let me give you one example before we still haven't got to our text yet, but this, what we're talking about here is context. And context is really important to the text. You get a feel for John and where he's coming from and, 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 and what, he, what he is passionate about and, and what is his message in his other writings is about and, and as we come to our text today and what the rest of this here letter, because we're jumping into chapter 3, right? But in John chapter, First uh, John 3, 24, which follows our text, we have uh, these words. Whoever keeps his commandments, whose commandments? God's commandments. Abides in God. That's that word mental. And God in him. Notice that word in. Significant connecting words, right? And by this we know that he abides in us. That's that word again. By the spirit whom he has given us. Now, there's another phrase in this statement here. Um, verse 24, that um, is also a really important statement. And it's this, those words right up there. Um, third sentence, by this we know. That phrase, or something like it, also comes up over and over again in 1 John. And that relates back to what, to that point. How do you know? John says, this is how you know. In fact, as you read through 1 John, I hope you will, I hope you read through the whole 1 John, it'll only take you 10 minutes at the most if you're a slow reader. I mean, it's not a big book. But you'll see there that one of the issues they were dealing with that John was writing to them about was false teachers. And sometimes it's, it's hard to know uh, a, fa a false teacher is a false teacher. If it was really easy, then there would be no problem. And one of the reasons that, that the things that John has on his heart is he wants them to know how they can know. And that's important, right? If I could carry on from uh, John chapter 8, Verse 31 says, if you continue in my uh, teaching, then you are my disciples for real. Verse 32 says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free, but a lie will ensnare you. Will uh, capture 
you and enslave you and imprison you. But the truth will set you free. So it's, these are important things, right? Um, so that's John's, John's main, uh, one of his main ideas here is that you, that you can know. Later on in chapter 5, he's, he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you will know that you have eternal life. In our text, which is 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. So we're, we've made it. We've made it to our text. And we have 15 minutes roughly. Roughly. So, let's just go through here. And I encourage you to go back and read the, the, the context before and read the context after. That's, that's really important. By this, it is evident. There's that basic line. By this, you know, or by this, it is evident. Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You can know. It's not a crapshoot. It's not a guess. It's not, well, maybe, you know, it's, you know, these things, these things are really hard to understand. Everybody's got their own interpretation. No. No, it's not like that at all. It's way clearer than that. Yeah, there's some stuff in here that's hard to understand, but some stuff is really, really clear, and this is really, really clear. That there is there's a right and there's a wrong, and there's a good and there's an evil, and God is good. We sang about it this morning. God is good. And those that know God, who really know God, those who are really born of God, It'll do good. That's not to say we don't mess up, but the general tenor of our life come, is coming from him, and it's of him, and it's through him, so it has to be good. Jesus said it this way. He said, uh, 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 an evil tree cannot bear good fruit. You don't pick lemons off an apple tree because apple trees don't produce lemons. Right? So that's what John is, is, is talking about here. He's saying that you, you can know and you can look at it and go, this means this. And you can note the correlation there in that statement, chapter uh, 3, verse 10, between righteousness and love. Did you see that there? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Uh, down in verse 23, he says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of uh, Jesus Christ and love one another. So the commandment and love, love is the essence of the commandment of God. Right? I, I've said this many times to you when I've had opportunity. You know, Jesus, what is the great, what's the greatest commandment? The, uh, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. All the commandments hang on those two commandments. Right? That's what he said. So, so love is the essence of, of the law. Verse 11, 
For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Of all the things that John says characterizes someone who has a real relationship with God through Christ, love stands out in John's writings. I'll go back to the gospel according to John. John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. John 13, 34, 35. Love stands out. Love is the epitome of the commandments of God, and it is the epitome of what should characterize our lives as those who would claim to be born of God or to know God or to have experienced the love of God. Um, verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. It's pretty, pretty crazy. We live in a world where people are uh, oftentimes trying to generate a, a worldview that doesn't include a basic right and wrong. There is a right and wrong. And the right comes from God, and the wrong comes from the, from the evil one. And those things don't, they don't mix. They don't mix. Notice that word of there in uh, verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the devil, of the evil one, and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Verse uh, 13 and 14. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. There's that word meno again, abides in death. You can't abide in death and abide in love. You can't abide in death and abide in Christ. You can't abide in the evil one and abide in in God. That's worked that way. And there's that phrase again, we know, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. <coughs> Verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You can know these things. We know these things. Verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Um, so all through First John, he's, he's been saying, if you go back to chapter 2, you'll see it there several times as well. By this we know. This is how we know. This is how you know. And he's been using that phrase or something similar to that here in as we we're going through chapter 3. And here it is again in verse 16. By this we know, but this time he changes it just a little bit. Because all, all, all the other times, he's, 
is this is how you can know uh, how. And now he's talking about a what. He's not talking about a how anymore. He's talking about what. He says, you, this is how you know. You know by the love. But how do you know what love is? So all through 1 John, the emphasis is on the fact that we can know those that are born of God. And we know it by their love. But now John says something really, really important that we do miss oftentimes, which is, well, what exactly does this love look like anyway? What is this love? What does it mean to love? Now, this is really important for us, and it's really important in this day, because if there was ever a time in human history when people were confused about what love is, it's today. As I said at the top, it's a subject that gets talked about a lot. Oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. But understood little. So here John says, this is how, this is how we know what love is. By this we know love, verse 16, that he, who's he? That's Christ laid down his life for us. Well, you say, well, how, how do you know that's talking about Jesus? Because he's the only one that did it. He's the only one that laid down his life for all of us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Verse 16 of 1 John chapter 3. Now, again, John is consistent here with the other New Testament writers. Because the other apostles also talk about this. Why? Because Jesus talked about this. And uh, it's at the very uh, heart application of the gospel. Over in, uh, take a look at this, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. I think we have that one. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's that giving up of himself for us. And Paul, this is Paul writing here, he says, husbands, love your wife like Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, husbands, give yourself up for your wife. Or you could say, lay down your life for your wife. But that's not just husbands. Back up to verse 1 and 2 of Ephesians 5, and you have this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifices, uh, sacrifice to God. So it's not just husbands and that are to give ourselves up for our wives. All of us are supposed to give ourselves up for one another. Just like Jesus gave himself up uh, for us.
that passage also talks about submission and talks about wives submit to your husbands. And we interpret these things. You know how we interpret these things. We, we look at these, these passages and we say, well, um, the, the scripture says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That means, that means if, if ever you have to jump in front of a bullet, you do it for your wife. Boy, I sure hope that day doesn't come. But if it ever does come, I will give my life for my wife. Is that what Paul's talking about? Well, that's true enough. But what about today? The odds are pretty slim, folks, that somebody's going to come running in here with a gun right now and say, try to shoot your wife, okay? I'm not saying it can happen. It does happen. But, but that's not what he's talking about here, is he? Because let, let, me, let me assure you of this. Husbands here today, you need to lay down your life for your wife every single day. Because Paul's not just not, Paul's not just talking about dying for somebody; he's talking about living for someone. How do you how do you actually lay down your life? He's not talking about you know taking your life; he's talking about giving your life. And uh, it's the same thing with the submission passage. If people interpret that and say, "Well, okay, this way this works is is if you ever you ever get in a, an argument and you can't agree." then it says that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. That means that if, if the day ever comes when you have a disagreement and you just cannot work it out and you can't agree, then it's the husband because he's the, the leader and the wife's supposed to submit to the husband and that's the way that works. That's not what he's talking about at all. Take a look at verse 24. What's verse 24 say? I think it's 24. Is it verse 24? Let me see here. I wasn't going to get into this, but here's how we're already in it. Now, as the church submits to Christ, this is verse 24 of Ephesians chapter 5, where we were. And now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything. And not just wives that are called to submit either. If you go back to verse 21, there we're told to submit to one another. So here, here, here's the thing about the submission and the laying down of your life and all that. Every single day, I'm called to live in submission. And every single day, I'm called to lay down my life. And this is the teaching of uh, Paul. And it's consistent with the teachings of John. In John chapter 3, when he says, by this, verse 16, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 
Romans chapter 12, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. If you think of your life as a living sacrifice. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 let me read this to you. For the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, that's Jesus, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and raised again, was raised again. Over in Acts chapter 17, Paul's talking to the Athenians. He's talking about, about God, and he, <laughs> he makes a statement about God. He says, God made, God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything. How do you, how do you serve God? By serving others. Because God doesn't need anything. How are you going to serve him? Serve him by serving other people. How are you going to love God? By loving other people. That's the biblical teaching. That's what the Bible says. We love God by loving others. We serve God by serving others. We give our lives to God by giving our lives to others. John's teaching is consistent with Paul's on this, along with the other New Testament uh, writers. Let's go on to verse, the last two verses in, in our text. Uh, John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. I'm going to read verse 16 again. It says, By this we know that uh, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children. Paul, or uh, John is not a teenager anymore when he's writing this, by the way. To little children, let us love in, not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is how you know. You can know. Not only can you know when someone is born of God by their love, but you can know whether that love is real or not. Because we use the word all the time. But what, what, does, real, what does love really look like? See, love is not just a word you say. Love is demonstrated in our, in our actions and what we do. Right? That's what, he's, that's what he's saying here. He puts it in the form of a question. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And then he makes a statement. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. <laughs> John is saying, this is how we know we are authentically his. It's by love. And this is how we know what love is. How Jesus loved. He acted at great personal cost to meet our very real needs. What are your thoughts on love? What do you, how do you see love? What do, you, what do you think of when you hear the word love and when you think about love? What, what do you think love is? So 
Some people just think that, that uh, John, you know, he was, a, he was a young lad. You know how young, young uh, boys and young men can be, you know, sheltered, um, haven't really been toughened up by the world yet. Their hearts are still soft, tender, and, and um, you know, and gentle, just, you know, really, really nice. And, uh, and then when Jesus called them, you know, uh, may, you know, he, he just maybe just had a loving personality. He was probably one of those um, don't rock the boat people, one of those people that would never say anything to hurt anybody else's feelings. And people think of love that way. And, and the reality is that's not, most of the time that's not even love, that's just fear man is all that is. Not love at all. Love isn't a personality. Our concept of, of love is, is often been shaped and molded into something that's um, that's far less than what the Bible portrays it as. Uh, and and how many of you have, have ever seen pictures of uh, or portraits? I will. Uh, what do you even call them? Uh, representations of Jesus uh, painted in the Middle Ages. How how effeminate he looks. Have you seen those? Let me show you a couple of uh, of John. This is this is supposed to be John. This is uh, Peter Paul Rubens John. That's John. Oh well, of course he's loving. Look, you know, look how soft and tender and effeminate he was. That and that's on the the mild side. Take a look at uh, Jacques Boulanger's John. And if you go back through medieval art, you'll see a lot of uh, uh, representations of Jesus that are where he looks really, really effeminate as well. Um, and you say, well, we don't really know what John looked like. And we don't. We don't even know what Jesus looked like. And we're not talking so much about physical appearance here, really, at all. But, but what was John like? Was he one of these just naturally easygoing, uh, soft-spoken you know, all the things that we tend to associate with with love. Well, it's interesting. John had a nickname. Do you know what his nickname was? Pardon? The one Jesus loved was he taught, he referred to himself as the one in, in John, as the one Jesus loved. But him and his brother had nicknames before that. Sons of Thunder. Did that picture look to you like the Son of Thunder? You know. <laughs> and I'm not trying to disparage the, the, the gals and the ladies here because, because there, is, there, is a, there is a tender side to love. There is a, a, a soft side to love. But we've jettisoned the whole fierce warrior aspect of what it means to love. We've, 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 we've dumped that. I, I wish that you could have been at, uh, at Jamie's funeral uh, Thursday, some of you were, I know, to hear the guys that shared there, you know, um, and, uh, and shared about, about Jamie and about how he loved people and, and how much they loved him. And, and five guys, 
shared. You know, there's just so much that we, um, and I, I know we're out of time, but there's so much that we think about love that. Where do we get it from? We certainly don't get it from uh, where the scripture here where it says this is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. We don't get it from there, do we? Now, as I was preparing for this morning and reading that passage over and thinking about it and, 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 and you know, doing some of those cross-reference cross work and so on. One of the thoughts that came to my mind was uh, how we apply this. Because um, I was just struck with the realization that, that I cannot make application for this for your life. As much as I might want to do that because maybe you need help with it or something, uh, but I can't really help you with it. You, you have to do it. I, you, can't, you can't apply this truth to my life. Uh, not really. Every single one of us has to make that application ourselves. You live your life. I live my life. What does that look like tomorrow? What, do, what does this truth look like tomorrow in your life? I, I, I don't know. I don't even know where you're going to be, be tomorrow. What's it look like in, in, the, in your relationships? At, at work, at school, or in your, in your home? What, what does it look like? You have to, you have to decide that. You have to... You have to, to Read that statement that John is making and you have to apply it because I can't, I can't do that for you as much as I, I'd love to help you out. I, I've got my hands full trying to figure out what it looks like in my life, right? But I know this. I know this. I know what it says there. And it says that those who are born of God, those who are of God, those who have God in them, those who live through him, those who come from him, love. And that love is not some placid, soft, pushover kind of thing. There's a strength to the love that he's talking about here that's, that's a warrior, a warrior's love. The kind of love that... It will fight and lay down its life. That kind of love. I don't know what exactly that looks like in your life, but I know that that's what 
needs to happen. So I'm going to close with, with this. Um, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples for real. They will know you by your love. Father, I thank you for this great group of people. I thank you for the opportunity for us to spend this time together today focused around this portion of your word. And I thank you for your word. And I thank you for those who, all those who have come here today wanting to submit themselves to your word. Lord, we just really want, Lord, to have the kind of relationship with you that bears this kind of fruit because it brings glory to your name and and it wins hearts. Your love. You know, I'm just going to stop for a moment and I'm going to keep you for just another minute here. I, you might be sitting there thinking, well, how do, how do I actually do that? I don't have the capacity to do that. If you go read on in First John, you come to chapter 4, you'll find out that it says there that the way, there's only one way that you can love like that. And that's the love of God in you. You have to experience love, the love of God in Christ. You have to experience the love of Jesus. If you've never allowed Jesus Christ to love you, if you've never allowed what he did, laying down his life for you on that cross, suffering for you and dying for you, if you have not accepted that, if you haven't received him, there's no, you don't have any hope of loving like he loved. It's hard, it's, it's, it's hard enough for those of us who have, have allowed him to love us to turn around and really to love people the way he loved us. But if you haven't experienced his love in your heart, if you haven't given your life to Christ, you don't stand a chance to be able to love people like that. You wouldn't have any capacity for it at all because the only capacity we have to love people is the love that we experience ourselves. It goes on in chapter 4 to talk about that. We love because he first loved us. That's where the capacity to love people comes from. So if you're here this morning and you've not accepted Christ, it's time. It's time to allow his sacrifice, his suffering, his death for you into your heart. Let it in. Open up your heart's door. Let him in. Let him love you and put his love in your heart. Will you do that this morning? Pray with me again. Father, I just pray that you would open hearts this morning. That you would open our hearts to the love of Christ. Lord, we, we thank you that you love us. We thank you so much, Lord, that you love us even though we do not deserve to be uh, loved. We're not lovely, but you love us. Your word says that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. You demonstrated your love for us. Lord, may doors, may heart's doors swing open wide this morning to the love of Jesus so that we can spread your love and uh, so that we can be marked. Marked. Uh, forever Marked. Uh, by by you, by your love. For your glory, Lord, we pray, and for our good, in Jesus' name, amen.